Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Jim Garrity is back today. That is the best martini of the day, but we also have good, bad, and crazy for you. And Jim, let's begin with great news. In addition to the fact that you're back, uh, there is another vaccine about to be available to help ward off the coronavirus and get us hopefully back to normal. Uh, CNN, in an analysis released Wednesday, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration said the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine has met the requirements for emergency use authorization. The efficacy of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine against moderate to severe or critical COVID-19 across all geographic areas was 66.9% at least 14 days after the single-dose vaccination and 66.1% at least 28 days after vaccination. A new analysis meant to brief the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee said. Boy, that's a long title for a committee. Uh, In the briefing document, the FDA said that it has reviewed the data for the vaccine and has determined that it is, quote, consistent with the recommendations set forth in FDA's guidance, emergency use authorization for vaccines to prevent COVID-19. So, uh, Jim, a couple of good pieces of news here. Number one, it works. Number two, it's only one dose, so you don't have to sign up for that second dose. And number three, Correct me if I'm wrong here. I think this one approaches it the old way by giving you a very weakened form. So it's not the mRNA version. So if you're a little weirded out by that, you've got an alternative here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, this is, you know, produced by Johnson Johnson. It was actually kind of seen as a, I don't want to say a front runner. And being the third dose to come out is not uh, is nothing to sneeze at. As you mentioned, this should be much easier to ship and distribute uh, not needing any special refrigeration helps, although there have been some studies indicating that maybe the Pfizer and Modernas won't need quite the same level of uh, super cold refrigeration that, the, that we thought that we did. Uh, and also, apparently, it sounds like Pfizer and Moderna do give you a decent amount of protection after that first shot, which, by the way, is not an instruction for anybody to forego the second shot, but just kind of a nice sign that it works well. But one shot and then you're done sounds for terrific to a lot of Americans. It should be great. Um, I, I will skip over most of my New York Jets jokes because John's oh. Robert, Robert Johnson and Woody Johnson, uh, the owners of the New York Jets, or was it Chris Johnson and, and Woody Johnson, are of the Johnson & Johnson family. I will point out, though, that there is a catch with this, Greg. It is traditional, a little bit of disappointment, those of us who have seen products from the Johnson brothers. Um, they expected, in fact, they were telling the government, we should have 12 million doses ready to go for the federal government to distribute by the end of February. You may have noticed we're almost at the end of February. And now they're saying, according to the New York Times, they said told lawmakers on Tuesday that they have nearly 4 million doses to go, which is not the 12 million that they said they were going to have. Um, this, by the way, I assume is at that warehouse in Baltimore that has been producing them. That warehouse and, and production facility was stockpiling the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the AstraZeneca slash Oxford vaccine. And with the report back in the Baltimore Sun a couple of weeks ago was that they had tens of millions of doses. So it, for them to only have four million, I guess maybe they got a whole lot of AstraZeneca and not nearly as much Johnson & Johnson. Kind of frustrating because... Johnson, uh, AstraZeneca has not even submitted its emergency use application to the FDA yet. So, you know, that one's probably going to be at least a month away, probably more than that. Uh, and so, you know, it's good to have four million. But look, I think the bottom line is, you know, as we've heard from the Johnson brothers before, this is kind of a rebuilding year. 
we had high hopes. We should not have put Adam Gase in charge of production. We just haven't gotten the production we expected from our products. And you, those of you who have been wearing green and white have expected this for quite some time. So overall, it's very good news. Uh, four million doses is still more than four million doses than we, you know, that we didn't have last week. Let's get it out there. Let's get it into people's arms and we can get, you know, a little bit closer to herd immunity each day. So if I'm hearing you right, Jim, the Johnsons are saying we're almost there. We're just not quite there yet. Hang with us and we'll be there really soon. You've we never... just need more patience <laughs> as if this fan base hasn't been patient enough. <laughs> are you also uh, urging folks to be a little bit cautious about getting the Johnson & Johnson product between September and December? <laughs> Well, it, look at the upside. It never fails you in January. <laughs> and it's always, always very hopeful in April. So uh, yeah. that might be your Hopeful chance. in April and, you know, the reasonable <laughs> optimism in August. It's just uh, it's all about the timing. Oh, man. Well, that is excellent news. Hopefully you can uh, uh, breathe a sigh of relief and maybe just lounge around in some uh, very comfortable products from my pillow. I have been using the MyPillow for a long time. Now I'm trying out all these other products, including uh, the sheets and eventually the towels. But did you know that MyPillow is about more than just the fantastic pillow? Because now MyPillow is giving the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets and many other products. Uh, right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent. They are soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable and dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish and will have you sleeping like a dream. The sheets also come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable and dryable to stay healthy. Wide variety of colors and sizes to fit any personal style and bed. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, three Martini Lunch listeners. Again, all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets are buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. For buy one, get one on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheets. All right, Jim. Let's talk about a mess. You think the Jets are uh, a work in progress. Let's talk about the Virginia Republican Party. It's been a while since Republicans have won anything statewide. And by a while, I specifically mean 2009, when Republicans swept all three statewide offices quite handily. Uh, nice backlash to the incoming Obama administration that year. Since then, it's been tough. Cuccinelli came close in 2013, but lost to McAuliffe. Northam much more easily than expected, took out uh, Ed Gillespie in the 2017 governor's race. Uh, the Republicans have not won Virginia on the presidential level since 2004, on the Senate level since 2000. So um, talk about rebuilding. And it's not getting any better. The party has had a really hard time even deciding how to pick its nominees this year or in what format to pick its nominees this year. Uh, some wanted to have a regular primary. That got shot down. Some wanted a more formal kind of open style convention. That did not work. Then there's also COVID restrictions, Jim. So basically, here's what's going to happen. This is the Virginia Mercury. 
after rejecting proposals to hold a state-run primary, a party-run canvas, and an unassembled convention to choose their nominees for statewide office, Virginia Republicans settled Tuesday evening on a plan to hold a traditional convention in an untraditional location. Parking lots scattered around Liberty University in Lynchburg because of 25,000 parking spots. Uh, they're literally saying this is the last option on the table due to infighting uh, among Republicans on how to do this and, of course, uh, the timing of it and uh, and then, of course, what precautions need to be in place for COVID mitigation. So, Jim, the uh, convention in the parking lots will take place May 8th. We've got uh, candidates such as Kirk Cox, who is the former Speaker of the House, Pete Snyder, a businessman who was a candidate for lieutenant governor in 2013. Uh, Amanda Chase has made a lot of headlines because she just got censured by the state Senate. She's the one who was initially famous for uh, bringing a gun onto the state Senate floor. Now she's famous for refusing to wear a mask and is surrounded by plexiglass, which reminds you kind of of the captivity they used for Hannibal Lecter here on the state Senate floor. And then you also have the the, the private sector guy, uh, Glenn Youngkin, as well as some other uh, lesser known candidates. So, Jim, historically, when a Democrat wins the presidency, the next year had gone pretty well for Republicans in Virginia. Right now, it's not looking super promising. Yeah. And you look at the circumstances and not just the historical pattern, but the fight that is occurring all over the state about reopening school districts and fight with teachers unions and Democrats reluctance to uh, cross the teachers unions and tell them anything they don't want to hear, i.e., you know, you guys are vaccinated. There's really no reason to not get you guys back into the uh, classroom. The stage is set for Republicans to win this. You know, you'd have to be a complete bunch of idiots to be able to grab defeat from the jaws of victory like this, to which the Virginia Republican Party is apparently saying, challenge accepted. <laughs> Hold my beer. Um, because if you thought Four Seasons landscaping was a subpar <laughs> backdrop for a political event, oh no, let's hold our, our nominating convention in the parking lot of Liberty University. What, was the Walmart parking lot booked that weekend? <laughs> you gotta, it's no, not to, hey, has anything gone on with Liberty University lately that might have kind of soured their image or might have kind of given, you know, like it's absolutely infuriating. Uh, that'd be the case. Yes, I completely understand they have uh, requirements for COVID and, and all of that. Um, this wouldn't be an issue if people in the state liked wearing masks. Uh, but apparently, apparently there are some people have problems with that, too, you know, including one of the candidates who apparently needs to be in a plastic case like Magneto. Um, but ironically, of course, you know, the ability to magnetically control objects is one of the side effects of the vaccine if you buy into the theory that, you know, Bill Gates is putting microchips into all of us. Um, I hope the party can recognize the opportunity before us. I know that I hope they understand that, like, there are a whole bunch of voters out there, particularly in my part of the neck of the woods in northern Virginia, who are not necessarily dyed in the wool, deep blue, hardline progressives who are willing to go along with anything that the Alexander Ocasio-Cortezes of the world want to go along with. They are all, however, they are, you got to not scare the horses, so to speak, folks. You got to, you basically have to come across as a nice, pleasant, consistently conservative, focused on uh, pocketbook issues. You don't want to get into this culture war stuff. Bob McDonnell won this state by like a 60-40 margin back in 2009. I know it seems like it was a long time ago, but we've only had two gubernatorial elections since then. You know, you, if you don't alienate the suburbs, Republicans can do fine. But some of these candidates are obviously going to be the kind of alienating uh, suburbanites. And let's point out that the Democrats, you know, it's an open contest. I guess right now you'd probably give Terry McAuliffe the, the inside track, but I don't think it's a guarantee at this point. 
there's a decent chance Democrats are going to nominate some far left crazy person. And if you, if, if this, you know, again, the stage is set. This is all you got to do. I don't know if Virginia Republicans will have it in them. Um, you know, listeners in Virginia, you can prefer the folks you want, but uh, some of these candidates strikes me as strike me as being head and shoulders above the others. I prefer if you have a, a record of getting things done in politics as opposed to just uh, rabble rousing and all that. So uh, we'll see how things shake out. But uh, the backdrop of the parking lot is not the start to the nomination process that uh, at least I would like to see. They paved regular order and put up a parking lot, I guess, for the Virginia. <laughs> GOP. Deep cut, Greg. Deep cut. <laughs> and uh, Jim, one thing I was hoping for, and you alluded to it there for a minute, was I was hoping for kind of a political slugfest on the Democratic side. And like you said, we might still get it. They are actually having a primary. But the way Terry McAuliffe has shot out of the gate here with fundraising and endorsements from people all throughout the party, I'm starting to wonder whether this is going to be uh, as competitive as I was hoping. I mean, you still got Justin Fairfax, the twice accused uh alleged rapist who's the lieutenant governor he's running uh you've got a, a number of uh state senators and state delegates running including lee carter who is from northern virginia and i believe is an avowed socialist at least if not an avowed marxist the only person who's endorsed him so far jim you'll be pleased to know marianne williamson so uh <laughs> that's how she's staying relevant endorsing a, a guy who has a little name recognition in most of the state but uh, is Terry going to get some uh, some some blowback here? Is he going to have a fight to get the nomination, or is this going to be a coronation here? You know, I was thinking about this, Greg. I mean, you think back to Terry McAuliffe. You think back to um, Governor Blackface, Ralph Northam. Mm -hmm. um, you look back to Cree Deeds, who got walloped back in 2009. But generally, Virginia Democrats do not pick the most leftward option that they have. It can get a little tough to tell that some a lot of these guys have kind of um, you and I could discuss uh, folks like Tim Kaine and Mark Warner and Virginia Democrats who managed to get this centrist moderate reputation and whose voting yes. records are not really that centrist or moderate. But by and large, if you campaign as a really outspoken progressive, your odds of winning uh, the nomination are not great. And up, up until fairly recently, you could say that the odds of you winning the nomination being from Northern Virginia, the most populated part of the state, is not a guarantee of winning the nomination in the Democratic Party, which is a little surprising because you'd figure, oh, okay, most uh, if you have the most voters up in the northern part of the state, the D.C. suburbs, well, then that's where you'd be in your strongest position in the primary. But at least up until very recently, Northern Virginia Democrats thought about what the rest of the state thought. And they said, hey, you know what, let's go for the candidate who's likely to appeal to those less democratic, less liberal leaning portions of the state. Doesn't always work out that way. You know, Cree deeds blew up in their face. It did not necessarily, you know, it was not necessarily a guarantee, but Ralph Northam does not speak like he's from Northern Virginia. You know, there's kind of this, this sense, like, I guess we say that Virginia Democrats seem to recognize that the left wing of their party does not represent the majority of the state. And that if they nominate somebody too far to the left, they're probably going to lose. Um, it'd be nice to see if Virginia Republicans could learn a similar lesson in the other direction. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, conventions are way different than primaries. You can kind of control the outcome a little bit easier at conventions. But uh, if 2013 is any indication, that doesn't always work out the, the way some people think either. So we will keep watching. Uh, but if Democrats win again in uh, 2021, and we certainly hope that they do not, you'll want to hang on to your pocketbook even tighter uh, but it's also smart just to get your finances in order 
in general. Look, times are tough and worrying about your student loan payments doesn't make things any easier. And that's where refinancing with Ernest can help. Ernest offers low rate student loan refinancing and you can check your rate risk free in just two minutes. With Ernest, you get radically flexible payments and you can pick your loan terms. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Ernest for help. Now, isn't it time you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? You had me at real life human. I've been dealing with some automated systems lately, and those are just a, a mess. Ernest is uh, offering Three Martini Lunch listeners right now a $100 bonus. Refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. It's not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Jim, let's move to our crazy martini now. And you, sir, now have competition in the writing of thriller fiction stories from former first lady, former senator, former Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton. Yes, she has a new book coming out that is entitled State of Terror. And as reported in Axios, a fictional secretary of state works for a former rival's administration and must unravel a deadly conspiracy theory. Here is the synopsis. A novice secretary of state joins the administration of her rival, a president inaugurated after four years of American leadership that shrank from the world stage. A series of terrorist attacks throws the global order into disarray, and the secretary is tasked with assembling a team to unravel the deadly conspiracy, a scheme carefully designed to take advantage of an American government dangerously out of touch and out of power in the places where it counts the most. Jim, sounds like a page-turner, and I'm sure this uh, this secretary will just be an absolute heroine making wonderful decisions all the way along. So when I set out to write my thrillers, Between Two Scorpions and Hunting Four Horsemen, available at Amazon.com, um, <laughs> one of the things, like we, we've probably, if you've picked up bad thrillers and you, you've seen them and you've recognized cliches and you've seen, you read scenes and shootouts and it all sounds very, very similar. Look, your it's understandable if you want to make your protagonist a bit like you. Um, I think uh, Richard Clark had written a series, uh, a couple of these, and there's clearly it's a stand-in for Richard Clark. Anytime, I think uh, Barbara Boxer wrote a bunch of Washington semi-thriller, semi, I think they were like romance thrillers or something like that. And there was clearly a stand-in. Like, okay, it's understandable. A lot of authors are going to pour a lot of themselves into, um, into their protagonists. Ideally, you do not make it a complete obvious stand-in for yourself and writing about a novice secretary of state. Like the novice part is not Hillary Clinton, but the idea of joining an administration of her rival. Okay, you know. <laughs> um, and then the next thing is if you're going to make a character who is clearly meant to be you or your vision of yourself or your, uh, how you see yourself, if you make that character too perfect, I mean, one, one of the phrases that gets thrown around is Mary Sue. Different, different writers have different ways of characterizing. When you, when you write a character who's too perfect, who, when you write a character who has no discernible flaws and all the other characters uh, are, are constantly talking about how terrific they are. In mine, Alec Flanagan is very much a bumbler. He is very much a guy who is in over his head. He's very much a guy who cannot, you know. So if you look, oh, Alec reminds me, it sounds like you know Jim's talking through this character. Yes, and I also see myself as 
blitheringly incompetent in a whole bunch of situations. If the Hillary Clinton stand-in in this novel is super duper terrific and is the one who's, you know, cracking the case and always coming up with the right answers and all that stuff, I just, first of all, I'm not buying the idea that Hillary Clinton can, can you know, disarm a ninja. Okay? <laughs> just not seeing it. Um, so the question is, you know, how, how I, I, there's a part of me, like, I want to read it just to see how bad it is. Bill Clinton had done one with James Patterson. Yes. And people may remember that extraordinarily awkward um interview with I think it was Craig Melvin of NBC News where Melvin had the audacity to bring up the Me Too issue and Lewinsky stuff. I remember, you know, we got another glimpse of that purple faced rage from Bill Clinton as James Patterson just sat there awkwardly staring at the ceiling and just trying, wishing to be anywhere except uh, next to Bill Clinton here. I didn't read it. I think about that one is the president is missing, right? And the whole idea is that Bill Clinton, you know, was offering some sort of particularly special, unique insight for thrillers and stuff. Look, there are terrific thrillers that have been written by people who've worked in the spy world and worked in the military and uh, can bring that kind of firsthand experience to that sort of thing. And there are people who don't have that kind of experience who still write great. Tom Clancy was never in the military. And I think everybody would agree his thrillers are among the top of the game. I don't think Brad Thor has ever been in the military. Um, you can generally get a great sense of realism through good research, and I've tried to do that in mine. I'd be curious about how much of this is being written by Hillary Clinton and how much of this is being written by her co-author and whether that person really is more of a ghostwriter. But the second thing is, okay, so what, 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 is, what is being said by this? And if the entire uh, evil conspiracy at the heart of this uh, thriller in, in her novel is run by someone named, you know, Ronald Trump, I think we're <laughs> going to know what she's saying and what this, you know, how this book is a form of cathartic therapy for her or something like that. Oh, by the way, Greg, I don't know if you know, you've noticed, but the bookshelves, the, the shelves are creaking under the weight of all of the thrillers in the, written in the last four years that not just use Russia as a bad guy. I mean, that's, there's, I have no gripe with that, but who basically used thinly veiled Trump stand in characters and thinly veiled versions of the Russiagate conspiracy, uh, except in the thriller novels that are true. And, uh, you know, the heroes always uncover that and they don't have, say, a two year investigation by a former FBI director who comes back and says, yep, nope, wasn't there. Couldn't find the evidence. Jim, I didn't read the uh, Patterson Bill Clinton book, and I have really no intention of reading this one. Certainly not going to spend any money on it. One of the other things that was uh, certainly eye opening in the Clinton Patterson book, though, was how soon in that novel the first lady was killed. So I'm curious to see what happens to the secretary's husband in this story. Will he be kidnapped and tortured? I mean, what other uh, subliminal ideas will be coming out of this? I believe that when Patterson first went to Bill Clinton with the proposal that the first lady should be killed off early in the book, I believe his response was, that's some good stuff there, James. I like that. I think, in fact, we need to have some sort of like dashing femme fatale who hooks up with this sad widower president who definitely needs comforting in her eyes or thighs or wherever that may be. Well, if it's as good as, and I put that in quotation marks, as Hillary Clinton's previous books that are supposedly uh, real about uh, things that happened in her life, I'm sure this will be a real, real page turner. Uh, (laughs) Jim, on that note, great to have you back. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
open borders are inhumane. Joe Biden's immigration policies are already causing huge problems from stopping border wall construction, releasing criminals into our communities, exposing our children to them, to the desperate people being exploited by their cartels on their way into the United States. I'm Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, we are following this issue very closely, and I'll share my expertise and my terrific sources to explain how this impacts our nation and our families. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.